1: You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I am your host, J.J. Leahy. Happy to be with you today. Oh, wait, that's not my line. That's your line, John. I got uh, John Meerdink here with me today, co-hosting this episode. Uh, John is the host of Blue 58 over the Power Sweep, one of the better Packers podcasts out there. One of uh, really just a couple of Packers podcasts that I catch virtually every episode of. Um, John, I I really appreciate you coming on here. I I like the approach that you have to a lot of football stuff, including the draft, because it's the same way I like to look at stuff, which is let's just break out the numbers and see what the numbers tell us. That's just the way my brain um, enjoys doing football information the best. So uh, but man, I'm really uh, pleased and honored that you are joining us today.
0: Well, I'm glad I could be here. Hopefully, we can. Uh, hopefully, I can at least talk about the draft without making a complete fool of myself. Because it's, <laughs> I was doing some mock drafts today, and boy, I, the, my big takeaway is I am not good at this. I think the closer we get to the draft, the
1: less I like the players in this draft. I think if you would have taken a, a, a reading of my feelings on all these players three months ago, I would have been much more enthusiastic for players at basically every position and now I'm going eh, they, they kind of all are underwhelming and I'm just looking forward to seeing what they can do with uh the Packers coaching staff uh working with our guys but i don't have high expectations for contributions in year one which let's be realistic that's you know a, a good um, expectation to have of rookies every year
0: yep Yep. Just, uh, realize that these guys are going to have to learn how to play NFL football and there's going to be some kind of learning curve for everybody. Every so often you find that guy like a Jamar chase or a Justin Jefferson, who's just a superstar from day one, but that's the exception and not the rule. So everybody's going to need a little bit of time. So first and foremost, um,
1: you guys go follow John on Twitter at John Meerdink. Make sure you check out his podcast again. That's blue 58. Um, John, I really wanted to introduce you to our audience and make sure that they are tuning into the stuff you have to say um, because I, th- I think you do a good job of breaking down some complicated concepts into simple terminology that's pretty black and white and easy to understand. And so we're gonna we're gonna dive into uh, your draft rubrics. First of all, can you define the term rubric because most of us are not nerdy enough to use that term
0: in our daily lives? Sure. I got to give a, a, a shout out to old Art DeYoung back at Sheboygan County Christian High School who used the word rubric almost every single day when grading <laughs> our papers. Uh, I haven't used English it since class. high school. Yep. So rubric is just a, a method by which you you basically sort information. Do you hit this, this, and this? And if so, what does that say about the the result that we're trying to achieve. So when you're looking at a a player in the NFL draft, for me, it's helpful to set up some targets that you want these guys to hit and uh, decide the extent to, to which they, they meet those targets. So the rubric for everybody that I use is um, a a three-tiered system. You want guys that are athletic and productive together, or you want guys that are athletic and you can teach them how to be productive at the NFL level, or You want guys that are just productive in college and you hope they can translate that into the NFL. And the real, the reason that I do that that way is because football is a game of athleticism and you want the the utmost is getting those guys that are um, great athletes and have shown that they can play football at a high level already. If you can't have that, you might as well just get a good athlete and hope you can teach them to play football. And if you can't be a good athlete, at least show that you can, you can do the things that you need to do to succeed at the college level hopefully we can find a small role for you in the NFL. What it, means to, 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 what it means to be productive is going to vary a little bit by position, but that's that's the general approach.
1: So tier one is athletes who produce in college. Tier two is just
0: athletes. And tier three is just guys who produce but are not athletes. Right. Generally speaking, that's how it works. And there are a couple of exceptions in there. For running backs, we make some, some, small, some small exceptions because Guys that are athletic and productive at the college level just tend to be super-duper athletes anyway. So tier three for the, that position is just guys that are the insane athletes. We we introduced that this year. I just call it the monster tier. So it's just guys that have the most bonkers testing numbers. Maybe they're productive, maybe they're not. But you know, one thing is is for certain, certain you're drafting a hot rod there. So that, that's the general approach. All right. So at
1: most positions in the draft, and I, I didn't do all of them because... I ran out of time and I have a life. Uh, but for most positions in the draft, after I put together my big board just from uh, tape that I had watched, I went through and I took your metrics um, and div- divided these guys up into tiers and then uh, uh, ranked them accordingly on my own big board. So I, I, I took what you were teaching. I applied it. Let's dive in and um, talk about, since you already brought up running back, let's talk about running backs. Uh, what are the, the productivity uh, thresholds that we're looking for here?
0: Sure. I, I have pretty low thresholds for running back productivity. Basically, you're just trying to screen out guys that didn't produce at all in college. So, A tier one running back is a guy who has a speed score of 100 or more, uh, who averaged uh, three quarters of a touchdown or more per game in college, and had at least one catch per game in college. Mm-hmm. Speed score, for people who aren't familiar, was developed by some analysts at Football Outsiders. If it wasn't developed by them, they popularized it. But basically, it's how quickly you move your mass. It, it rewards guys who are more thickly built and uh, can run fast. And that makes sense for, for running backs because you don't just want the, the willowy track star build. You don't want a guy who looks like Trevor Davis, uh, the former <laughs> Packers wide receiver, playing running back. Because if you send him through the middle of the line, he's going to get broken in half. He wouldn't want to do that, and you wouldn't want to do that either. The other stuff is just basic, you know, basic screening stuff. You don't want a guy who's a phenomenal tester but was so dumb he couldn't get on the field in college. So it's it's just some basic, like, could you do some basic running back stuff? And uh, and we go from there. So if you if you want to look at that for running back, some of our tier one guys uh, for this year are uh, Brees Hall out of Iowa State. Pierre Strong Jr. out of South Dakota State, and one of my most interesting prospects in the draft, Rashad White out of Arizona State. That's not the full list, but those are three of the, I think, the most interesting ones. Pierre Strong is an
1: interesting candidate because he had the highest yards per attempt at 7.1 of uh, any of the guys that I end up uh, deciding were worthy of including on my board, but then he struggled in a lot of other areas, so he was hugely productive, but he did have four drops in the receiving game. He had four fumbles. Um, his uh, pass protection grade was pretty low. Um, actually, overall, as a receiver, he graded out pretty low. Do you uh, take stuff like that into consideration when you're looking at this, or are you really just only looking at the positive production?
0: I really only look at the the positives, um, and I, I will fully admit that's a weakness in the process here, but just so we can get something on on everybody in the class, I try to do it this way. And, and strong... Uh, Ed, to your point, there are some some significant drawbacks there. He's got a lot of great athleticism stuff. He's phenomenally productive, but in addition to the some shortcomings in the grades that you mentioned, he was also doing it at South Dakota State. So there's the question about you know can he project his talent from a, a relatively small school into the NFL at running back? I think you feel a little bit better about that than at some other positions because it's it's basically the same kind of responsibilities you're mm-hmm. just doing against a, a lower level of competition but still uh, he's put up some some really interesting stuff um he's kind of in that sort of aaron jones mold uh, not not quite a one-to-one comparison but sort of that leggy a little bit lighter side running back but sure fast enough with a four three seven forty. now remind me
1: hopefully you have this in front of you otherwise uh, this is the question is going to be terrible remind me where bryant kobach out of toledo Uh, fits into here because I remember um, you talking on your podcast about him being a guy who met a lot of the thresholds you were looking at, but the tiny school he played at was a big um, question for you.
0: Right. So that's another good example of uh, where scouting needs to add a little context here. So Bryant Kobach was a phenomenal tester. He had a relative athletic score of 971, was productive in college, uh, but he went to the University of Toledo and you know, living in that area and actually working until very recently at the University of Toledo, I'm fairly familiar with their football program. The, the drawback with with a guy like Kobach is that often when you're playing a position like running back, somebody is just going to get the touches. Somebody is going to take all the carries and get all the catches out of the backfield. Somebody's going to get that job. And it happened to be Bryant Kobach because he's a pretty good athlete. So he puts up all these phenomenal production numbers and you got to take him with a little bit of grain of salt because he might be their only real offensive producer and he's just getting fed the ball. I think on the running back episode, the example I used actually carried over from uh, Ryan Rosillo's podcast, uh, talking about the NBA. You've got these guys who score 20, 25 points a game and that looks great in the box score, but it, they just happen to play for a team where they're right. the only six on a scale of one to 10 where everybody else is a four. Well, you're going to have that guy shoot because he's the only good one. Bryant Kobach might be a six on a team of fours at Toledo. All right. That's uh, phenomenal information.
1: Uh, so Pierre strong, uh, according to NFL mock draft database.com, he is projected as uh, about a fifth rounder. Um, so he's in your tier one, but he's kind of a later guy who might be available. Is there anybody else in tier one who, uh, The Packers
0: might be able to pick up on day three. So if we're if we're talking about just those tier one guys, um, Rashad White, I should mention is is interesting too. He keeps sticking out to me because as I look uh, at what people have written out to me written out about him, I can't get what they said at Pro Football Focus out of my mind when it comes to him. They called him a project at running back, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone described as a project running back before. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> because just think about it. That's a position where you pretty much just are what you are. Um, you're you, you can. You're big, you can run fast, you can catch the ball. Well, if you can do that in college, you can do that in the NFL. Rashad White uh, went, was, a, I, I forget his exact journey, but I think he started at D2 school, then went to junior college, then ended up at Arizona State uh, mm-hmm. for his final two years. He's only played 15 college games, but he was phenomenally productive there. He had 15, or he had 20 rushing touchdowns, Two receiving touchdowns, 50 catches in those 15 games. He's big, 214 pounds, ran a 448, 40 yard dash. He's got all of the the baseline stuff, but you can see why he's only a day three prospect. Um he, he hasn't done it a lot. And there's reason to wonder, you know, why he hasn't figured it out till now. Is he truly just that late of a bloomer at running back? I, who knows? But uh, it, he's has intriguing measurables. I'll say that I'll give you give you one more name if you're talking about um, some tier one guys at running back. Uh, Jerome Ford, also a fairly late guy.
1: Oh, yeah. Cincinnati uh,
0: out of Cincinnati. And he, too, is is pretty much all testing, which is barely meeting a couple of the production thresholds. But but he's there, too. Um, and you like him, I think, a little bit better than maybe somebody like uh, like a Pierre Strong, just because of the level of competition. It's slightly better. And he's done it for a little bit longer than a guy like Rashad White. But get a good athlete and hope for the best from there. And the Packers shouldn't be looking any earlier than day three anyway. Yeah, those two guys. So Jerome Ford is kind of expected to go
1: late fourth, maybe fifth round. Uh, the interesting thing to me between those two guys uh, Jerome Ford, uh, not a, a bad athlete by any means, but clearly in a different tier from Rashad White. Rashad White had a 9.88 RAS, and Ford was at a uh, what 6.87. Uh, Looks like actually they updated that to 6.95. That must have been after his pro day. But uh, definitely a big difference between those two guys athletically. Uh, it would make sense for Goody to swing on the athletic upside there.
0: Yeah. Um, the thing you like about a guy like Ford is that while he he has poor overall athleticism, he's got some good straight line speed. At two hundred and ten pounds, he still ran a four, four six forty. So that's why he gets bumped up because that that meets the the speed score threshold. So if you're looking for just kind of the one cut back sort of archetype, that's generally that the kind of thing those those backs fall into. Let's switch gears and talk about wide receiver because that's
1: the position that most of the listeners are going to be caring about the most. Uh, One of the downsides with wide receiver is you got a lot of the guys who are considered top prospects in this draft. We don't have all of their testing numbers on, so we don't have uh, their RAS for, for several of these guys. Uh, Are you still able to project them athletically in your tiers or no?
0: Not, not a whole lot. Um, there is some some good stuff out there. I would recommend to anybody who's interested in in doing some scouting in this sort of way to uh, to look at Paul Noonan of Acme Packing Company's uh, Raps number. He had, did a big explainer on it a couple weeks back. Uh, basically, it's a combination of of RAS, Relative Athletic Score and a custom metric that he put together himself. Basically, comparing receiving productivities to some, some baseball metrics that I think some of the more stat heads out there might be familiar with. <laughs> it's a great way to combine athleticism and productivity, but you got to have the testing numbers. So I would love to have testing numbers on a guy like Jamison Williams. The guy like, that really hurts though is Drake London because he yep. did some testing stuff, but not all the testing stuff. So you can't really get a full grasp on what, what he can do. It looks pretty good for him on tape, I don't love the contested catch stuff with him, but he seems pretty productive. So I don't know. Um, and to his credit, in the in the Acme Packing Company mock draft, when he had the opportunity to take him at 22, Paul even kind of held his nose and drafted Drake London and said, look, it, he's a consensus like top 15 pick for a lot of people. If he's there at 22, you should probably take him. So there's so, some of that in this process too. Like everybody says this guy is good. If you got an opportunity, maybe you take him.
1: So, uh, Paul Newton's raps. I, I have those numbers in front of me. I'm just going to go through who he says are the top guys. Uh, we'll give you the top 10. We've got Christian Watson. No surprise at number one, followed up by Kevin Austin, Jr. Alec Pierce. That one surprised me that Alec Pierce was that high. Danny Gray, Jalen Tolbert, Jamison Williams, George Pickens, Vilas Jones, Jr., Jalen Naylor, and Calvin Austin III with Tycon Thornton bringing up uh, number 11. And I mentioned him just because he's been a guy that the Packers uh, commentators have been talking about a lot ever since he came and visited Green Bay. Intriguing prospect uh, athletically who didn't produce very much in college.
0: Yeah, um, definitely an interesting, interesting prospect. I Just as an aside on the receiver stuff, I'm really interested, and I, I don't have any kind of answer for this, at what gives for the Packers? So we know that the Packers have been super interested in these big-bodied receivers basically mm-hmm. since Brian Gudikins took over. There aren't very many, very many of those in the draft this year. If you're looking for guys that are say above like 205 pounds, you've basically got Christian Watson, um, Alec Pierce, Traylon Burks. It gets pretty slim. It's it's not a lot of guys. Uh, yeah. Tyquan Thornton is he he does a lot of the things that the Packers like, but he's only 181 pounds. There are a lot of the the skinnier track track star types in this class, and I I don't really know what you do with that or what the Packers end up doing with that. It'll be interesting to see because
1: if a guy like Jahan Dotson is in your lap there, and he's he's not tiny, but he is a smaller guy, uh, but just insanely productive in college. What do you do with him? Because he. He doesn't really fit their mold, although they did take Amari Rodgers last year because they felt like, um, you know, despite being shorter, that he still met enough of their other thresholds. They liked him enough. That they went ahead and took him anyways. But you're right. It is short, a short list. I, I'm looking. There's only about 20 guys total uh, over 200 pounds in this draft. Um, and look looks like all of them are over six foot, which you'd expect being that heavy. Uh, but definitely not a lot of the top guys. It's it's a lot of a lot of really late round picks. Um, and, and most of them have relatively poor uh, testing numbers, too. You're really, really honing in on just a few, just four guys, really, who we have their RIS that are over 200 pounds and have a good RIS. That's uh, Kevin Austin Jr., uh, Christian Watson, Alec Pierce and Isaiah Weston out of uh, what is this? northern Iowa.
0: Yeah. I like Weston a lot. He's kind of like uh Christian Watson, but not famous. Um, <laughs> but he's got some phenomenal testing numbers. There it's are a couple of guys- Watson
1: from two months ago.
0: Right. Right. Um, there's a couple of guys that I trust to have watched some film on him that, that think he can probably do it at the NFL level. I, I don't know. I'll take their word for it. Uh, who else is in your tier one
1: who, um, actually I'm not even gonna limit you just to late round guys. In your tier one, uh, which which players do you have at the wide receiver position?
0: Uh, so I've got Watson. Uh, I've got Kevin Austin Jr. I would like to talk about Alec Pierce just for a second, just because oh, we I love think,
1: Alec Pierce around here. Let's do it.
0: I think he's an he's an interesting case study for the Packers. What do they do as they kind of try to rebuild their receiving core post Devonte Adams? So in theory, you're looking to get a guy basically like Sammy Watkins who can mm-hmm. play on the outside, who's got some speed, um, maybe not necessarily a big-bodied guy. But Alec Pierce fits a lot of what the Packers like to do. So he's big, a uh, big, tall guy, seems like he can run. He's been productive in a pro-style system. He has about everything you can ask for, except in a lot of ways he's basically Alan Lazard. Do you want two Alan Lazards in your top three of your receiving group? Personally, I probably don't. Just, you know, looking at it as a roster construction question, but I don't think you can deny Pierce's, you know, ability and the fact that he can probably be an NFL receiver. So if he's there in, say, you know, the late second, or for some reason, he's still there when you're on the board at 92, you haven't grabbed a second receiver yet. Do you take him and just say, we'll figure it out later? Uh, I don't know, but I think he's certainly an interesting prospect and he's one of the guys that I'm most intrigued by in this draft. Yeah, one of the
1: nice uh, little differentiators between Pierce and Lazard is uh, Pierce is, I would say, substantially uh, faster. and Lazard's forty time was a four five five. Pierce has a four four one. So that that is definitely a difference uh, that that might make you feel a little bit more comfortable about how you could use those guys differently. But they are definitely similar players.
0: Yeah. Uh, circling back to one other guy is is Kevin Austin Jr. Now there's some. Off-field concerns about him. I guess he likes to to get in fights with his teammates. Uh, but as I've said to a couple of people, you know, kind of off the record, who among us you know <laughs> hasn't wanted to punch a teammate at some point? Uh, I'm not saying that's exactly what's happened, but uh, you know, you you hear some things about suspensions and stuff like that there, right? But I right. think his problem is that Notre Dame really didn't know what to do with him, and he's fun to watch. Um, he's got arms like an albatross. He can run. He's pretty thickly built guy. If you're looking at a guy on day three and he's there, I would take a crack at him.
1: He almost feels like a no-brainer at 6'2", 200 pounds, being that he's projected to go in the mid to late sixth round. All, it, it just feels like with that athleticism and his college production, who cares if he's had you know fights with teammates and stuff? worst thing that happens is you burn a sixth round pick to find out that yeah we really can't work with this guy and settle him down
0: and you know i there's some stuff i want to push back on too on the off-field concerns um we, we've always got to remember that a lot of these guys are 19 20 21 years old there's a lot of people who are kind of knuckleheads when they were 19 20 21 years old <laughs> and just because these guys are getting drafted to play in the nfl it doesn't changed the fact that they are young men and they do stupid things from time to time and a lot of guys i bet if you ask them that are now 30 31 32 did you do stupid stuff when you were 20 i would imagine you probably did maybe you didn't get in a fight with your teammate but you probably weren't playing d1 football either (laughs) all right we're gonna take
1: a quick ad break and uh, we'll be right back here with more positions with john Meerdink. All right, John. Uh, any other receivers that we should talk about, or do you want to move on to another group?
0: I think that's about all I've got at receiver. Uh, there's a bunch of guys that maybe don't fall into the tier one category that might be a tier two or a tier three guy. But uh, if we do that, we can be here all day.
1: All right, tight end has been a hot topic
0: for a while with the Packers, especially
1: now. You know, we're talking about possibly bringing in Darren Waller in a trade from the Raiders it would be interesting. Either way, I think you have to add at least another body to that room, uh, given that you lost Jay Sternberger and Tunyon has uh, a pretty severe injury that is probably going to take a while to get back from. You need more bodies in the room as much as we like uh, Dominique Daphne, Josiah Deguara, and Mercedes Lewis. Um, Let's talk about some of the guys in this draft. One of my observations when I look at these 2022 tight ends is that, there's a lot of parity in my eyes between a lot of these guys, not, not a, uh, any super elite talents on the level of, um, Kyle Pitts from last year. But once the run on tight ends starts, I think you're looking at a, a big old pile of guys who all are pretty comparable to each other in terms of college production, uh, blocking skills, uh, and, and even athleticism. What's your take? And, uh, Talk to me about how we how we gauge the, the uh, production metrics for tight end.
0: So I actually use the the same production metrics at tight end that I use for receiver. Don't adjust it at all. I, I want guys that can be productive as receivers coming out of college. I don't really look at blocking at all. I should probably try to add in something about that in the future. But the reason I don't look at blocking a whole lot when, when trying to project college tight ends is that I just assume that every tight end you draft is probably not going to be a plus blocker for the first three-ish years that he's going to be in the NFL, mm-hmm. just from the standpoint of the amount of physical development that has to take place to get a guy to a point where he can block at a at a realistic NFL level. On top of that, t- NFL teams are asking less and less from their tight ends in terms of blocking. Now, the Packers are kind of an exception in that, but they've also got the one guy in the in the NFL who's like a super reliable run blocker all the time in Mercedes Lewis. There are others. Obviously, George Kittle is a very, very good run blocker. But generally speaking, there just aren't a whole lot of guys out there. So I want to look primarily at the passing game too. My impression of the tight end class this year is that it's not very good. Um, I've got, looking at my version of the horizontal board here based on Dane Brugler's metrics, I don't have a tier one guy available before the third round. Mm -hmm. Um, Greg Dulcich out of UCLA is the first guy off the board who fits the the broad categories that we look at. Uh Jelani Woods of course is is an interesting one there. Uh but if you're looking at a late round sort of guy, um the the one that jumps out to me is Austin Allen out of Nebraska. He seems in a lot of ways like um kind of the late career version of Jimmy Graham. He's not a perfect prospect by by any means, but he's big and he's tall and he was a productive enough receiver. And if you can get any blocking out of him, you're, you're probably doing pretty well at the pick. The plus side with him is that there's a lot of physical tools to work with. He's six foot eight and 253 pounds. Hopefully you can teach him how to get in the way at some point.
1: Yeah, Austin Allen, according to NFL mock draft database, is projected to be an undrafted free agent. Uh, Would make sense, you know, like you're saying, with his athletic upside for them to take a swing on him in the seventh round, which is, you know, kind of your just preferred undrafted free agency at that point. Uh, Anybody else uh, earlier than seventh slash UDFA territory that strikes your
0: fancy? Well, Dulcich and um, Woods are, are of interest to me. I think uh, Dulcich at, in particular at a UCLA is an interesting kind of case study too, because he's a lot, I think, physically like Robert Tunyon. Um, mm. And if you look at his, his sort of statistical profile in his career at UCLA, a lot of wide receiver type numbers, uh, six foot four, 243 pounds, Uh, the numbers I have him on him that's on the somewhat smaller side for a tight end though not quite as light as Tanyan even is Um, he is interesting to me I don't know if they want to take him earlier than about the third round because of the other needs that they have they do need to get a tight end I just don't know where that shakes out relative to some of the other positions
1: there's a few tight ends that are kind of fan favorites for Packers tell me where these guys fall uh, in your rubric um, or if they just get an incomplete grade so first up uh, Jake Ferguson is a guy. You know, he's, he's a Wisconsin guy, so a lot of Packer fans already like him because of that. But he's the guy who I get asked about nearly daily. Well, what do you think about Jake Ferguson?
0: Where does he fall in your board? He's the off, off the board for me because of uh, some poor testing.
1: What about? Uh, so, I, I would assume that Jeremy Ruckert just gets an incomplete and and yep. can't get anywhere yep. in there as well. Same what deal. About, what about Iowa State's Charlie Kohler?
0: Uh, Kohler is a tier two guy. So the tier definitions I have on, on tight ends are tier two guys are just high athleticism guys. So guys that are elite athletes and, and Kohler is that, uh, pulling up my exact numbers on him. I don't know where he falls in the production thing, but I can tell you that here in a second, uh, fairly productive, uh, not just a super elite guy like, um, the other three that we talked about, but not too far behind Dulcich, So he's, he's kind of just barely in that tier two category. Uh, but you like his size, uh, you like his athleticism and, uh, seems like he's a, a fairly productive receiver.
1: All right. So, uh, maybe borderline. Yeah. Let's switch over and talk about offensive line because, uh, as any listener of this show knows, this is the position that I keep hounding on the most. I really want to restock the offensive line. And there's a lot of guys in this draft who I'd love to get my hands on. Who makes the cut for you in tier one?
0: Uh, Quite a few guys, actually. And these are based on um, the thresholds compiled by uh, Justice Musqueda originally back a few years ago about what the Packers do. So uh, a 10-yard uh, split in the 40-yard dash under 1.8, a three-cone time under, I think, 7.5 or 7.6 seconds, something like that, 7.55, 5. and then a short shuttle under 4.65 or something like that in that neighborhood. Um, I've got, I think, 13 guys in tier one here, and there may be a couple others that I'm missing. I think there's a guy at a North Dakota State who I don't have on the list because his pro day was late. Uh, But just uh, running down the the list real quick here, Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa, Zion Johnson out of Boston College, Bernard Raymond out of Central Michigan, Abraham Lucas out of Washington State, who I really like, Uh, Alec Lidstrom out of uh, Boston College, a little lower on him just because of the size, Uh, Cole Strange out of Tennessee Chattanooga, Cade Mays out of Tennessee, Zach Tom from Wake Forest, Luke Wattenberg out of Washington, Logan Bruss from Wisconsin, Dawson Deaton out of Texas Tech, Zach Thomas from San Diego State, and Cameron Jurgens out of Nebraska. All right, a l-
1: lot of depth there. It's nice to see so
0: many guys who are projected
1: to go in those later rounds. Uh, the Packers have a ton of picks. Uh, I'd love for them to take a guy or two early, but you can kind of count on them taking a swing or two in the fifth and sixth rounds, like they always do. Nice to see if there's some guys who uh, you know match up numbers wise. Let's talk about some of the names that uh, were missing, uh, some of the big names. Kenyon Green and Tyler Smith are two that I noticed right away uh, that I was expecting to see there.
0: I think that was just a a function of when these testing numbers were compiled. Uh, Smith out of Tulsa in particular, I think we just missed him on when his pro day went. So I I don't know about him in particular, but I think he probably makes it Um, and you know, given his profile, I think there's a good chance that he he fits. Um, but to your overall point, I do think they need to restock here on the offensive line. Um, probably, it, it, I, I, I hesitate to say even what direction that they should go, but mm-hmm. um, there's a couple different do- ways they could go. Do they want to get just a pure inside guy? Do they want to get that guy who's a, a potential swing tackle? Do they want to get the guy who can bump between guard and tackle? Uh, there's a lot of different directions that they can go.
1: I'd like to add some more bodies to that room, especially given the uh, crazy number of injuries we had last year. You felt stretched so thin by the end of the year. It would just be nice to have more guys that you can lean on. And, you know, we're obviously hopeful that Elton Jenkins comes back and can play starting week one. But as of right now, we don't really have a starting right tackle.
0: Yes. Um, and that is a, a big problem, especially depending on how you feel about um Shoot, I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, the oh, big left tackle. Yeah, Neiman. Josh, Josh Nyman. And I've been banging the table for Josh Nyman for a year now, and I just completely blank on his name. That's what happens when you <laughs> have two kids. That'll be my parenting advice for you. Just write down all the names that you want to talk about uh, in perpetuity. Uh, but I think Nyman probably can play on the right side. I wouldn't be sold on him. Obviously, the Packers aren't because they made kind of the the strange decision there in the in the playoffs to, to go away from him and start the, uh, the recently recovered Billy Turner at a position he hadn't played in over a year. So, um, yeah, uh, right tackle is a is a real problem there. I think you probably go with that guy who, you know, you feel comfortable enough with at tackle, and maybe he bumps into guard later. Uh, but I don't know. It kind of is de- going to depend how the how the board falls here.
1: So, anybody at offensive line that
0: you just really like a lot? I do like Abraham Lucas, uh, despite um, kind of the Washington State. Um, yeah, I don't want to say issues, but, uh, he, what was it? Pro football focus had a number on him that only like 27% of his career offensive stats were run blocking stats, which is just bananas, but they throw the ball all the time. Right. The Packers like to throw the ball. Uh, he's a good athlete. So you figure you can probably get him out in space. Maybe he ends up being that, that right tackle of the future, or maybe, you know, he turns out to be Jason Spriggs too. You know, that's the, that's the other side of that coin. But Mike I, I McCarthy do like him was, a lot.
1: If Mike McCarthy was here he wouldn't care at all about the uh, run blocking. He'd say, "Can you keep Aaron Rodgers upright all day long because that's the only thing I care about."
0: Yeah. Um and he may have been onto something. Uh just broadly speaking, building around pass blocking is probably the way you should do it, but surely some run run blocking is some run blocking ability is necessary, right? You got to be able to do it at least a little bit.
1: Uh, And and Matt LaFleur loves to run the football. No question about that. Right. Let's flip over to safety, because uh, if you're talking about positions that kind of make the most sense to swing at in the first round outside of offensive line and wide receiver, the two that pop up the most quickly in your brain are edge rusher and safety. A lot of talk about. Are the Packers going to give uh, Adrian Amos uh, an extension? Uh, is Darnell Savage the real deal long-term? And in the meantime, who's going to be your, your third safety? Because you'd certainly need one. Uh, who are the guys who meet your thresholds here in this bunch of, uh, honestly, super athletes?
0: So there are four guys who, who fall into the tier one guys, or tier one group, and that's Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame, Jalen Petrie out of Baylor, Marquise Ball out of Florida a and a little bit more off the beaten path there, and Daxton Hill. So we're broadly looking at guys that are elite athletes here, just to, to give us a manageable amount of guys to talk about, um, because if you start m- including those middling or low-end athletes, there just gets to be so many uh, at defensive back, because every team has a billion of them. Um, right. I generally like a, a guy who has a career coverage grade uh, or a final season coverage grade, excuse me, of 70 plus from Pro Football Focus, and then uh, I, I want 20 or more ball hawks, and that's a number that was um, popularized by Bob McGinn, formerly of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, mm-hmm. uh, now now of Uh A ball hawk is basically any play on the ball, so a sack, a forced fumble, a pass defense, or an interception. If you compile 20 of those in your career. I figure around the ball enough to, uh, to at least make a difference. So tier one guys meet all of those thresholds and those four are the only ones um, in this class that meet all four. That's not to say there aren't a lot of good options beyond that.
1: Yeah, I went, I took it the next step and I, um, I took uh, those ball Hawks and divided them by the number of games that you played. And uh, with the, the information I had was only good for 2021. I don't have guys prior seasons, but Kyle Hamilton came in number 1 in that category uh with 1 uh ball hawk per game played. Kirby Joseph out of Illinois was the next guy up at uh 0.81. Where does he fall uh on your tiers? Uh we don't have an RAS for him. So does he get an incomplete or do you do you have sort of a, an athletic uh let's grade for him? Let's see here.
0: I may not have a grade on him just because of the the lack there. Uh but let's take a quick look here while we're talking. Um I suspect that he probably has a pretty good um pretty his good coverage, coverage grade. Ninety point six in twenty twenty one. I
1: don't know what it was before then, but
0: well there you go. I think he probably if he if he can cover it all, he probably ends up being uh in that tier one or at least tier two because that's the that's the second tier is guys who are elite athletes and have a solid coverage grade. Uh, with his size at six one, two hundred and three pounds, the numbers I have on him, that that seems like a pretty good prospect there. Now when
1: you were giving us uh, your uh, qualifiers here for safety, uh, you didn't mention uh, run defense at all. Is that, uh, is that an element of the safety's game that matters a lot to you? Because Kyle Hamilton, for example, does not grade out uh, very well as a run blocker or r- run, run uh, defender.
0: I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about that. I think that's a teachable skill, especially mm-hmm. with how the Packers do it. Um, it's more about fits than about... Than about tackling, it'd be nice, sure, if anybody can come down and stick the running back one on one. But how the Packers do it, they do like to get their guys coming downhill. As long as you can slow them down and not be a liability as a tackler, I think you're you're okay. And and Hamilton in particular is just such a unicorn elsewhere that I think he, if you're if you're you know taking him off your board because of run stuff, you you might be looking for for things to to downgrade him on more than than anything else. Makes sense. So uh,
1: let's see, he's said uh, Daxton Hill. Uh, where did you have Lewis seen on, on your tiers?
0: So he's a tier two guy just because he lacks um, some of the ball hawk numbers. He's got, but, mm-hmm. you know, they are pretty good. He He's all coverage, so no sacks, uh, no fumbles forced. Uh, but 14 passes defensed and two interceptions for his career, a solid coverage grade, and he's a good athlete. If you if you ended up taking him, I would have no problem with that. And then uh, did you already did you say Nick Cross's name? Nick Cross, I think, falls into the same category. Ah, yep, here, I got him here. Um, so his coverage grade was only a 59.9, but he made yep. a lot of plays on the ball, a little bit smaller at six foot 12, uh, but overall a good athlete. Um, I don't know if the, the Packers want to go back to Maryland, but that's something that you can't discount with the Packers either, is they tend to cluster some picks. So if yep. they take a guy uh, from a given school, chances are within the next couple of years, you'll see another guy off the board from that same school. What do you think about... Um
2: uh
1: positions that they that they would take multiple of in this draft goody tends to like to double up on some of these positions um in recent years took two corners last year uh always takes multiple um offensive linemen position that you think uh makes the most sense for goody to be taking two or three guys at this year
0: uh, other than the obvious one at receiver, I think that's what everybody yeah. would want him to do. I think it's probably more likely that he double dips or maybe even more than that on the edge. Uh, so if you're looking at edge rushers, maybe he tries to get a blue chipper early um, mm-hmm. and then goes with maybe a little bit more of a project player later on. It seems like that's kind of how the draft sorts out too. So if you want the high-end talent, you kind of got to get it early and then see what you can get maybe later in the draft. Let's talk about about edge rusher. Um
1: so the, uh, those, the impact plays uh, you know, that we called ball hawks for uh, the defensive backs, do we have a name for that for uh, edge rushers?
0: Yes. Uh, so I use a, a number called production ratio. It was developed by Pat Kerwin, the NFL analyst, and I think it was, he was a scout once way back in the day. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, sacks and tackles for loss, add them together okay. and divide by the amount of games played. He figures a good – defender should have a production ratio of one or better. I bumped that up to one and a half to really only focus on the, the higher end prospects. So tier one guys um, have a relative athletic score of eight or better and a production ratio of one and a half or better. Uh, so if you're talking about those guys on the edge this year, it's a pretty deep class. Uh, Amari yeah. Barno out of Virginia Tech, Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon, Sam Williams from Old Miss, uh, Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State, David Ojabo out of Michigan, uh, George Karlaftis out of Purdue, D'Angelo Malone out of Western Kentucky, and I'm missing somebody here too because he was qualified as a defensive lineman, so I didn't get him added into the edges later. Uh, give me a second and I can find his name, but he went to San Diego State, I remember that. Cameron Thomas. Oh, yeah, Cam Thomas. Six four two sixty seven out of San Diego State. Um, the raw numbers I had him on him qualified him as a defensive lineman to start, but... If you look at him as an edge he still meets the the tier one thresholds by by a mile actually
1: and then your numbers are for their whole career correct yes yep yep
0: i i put together the the
1: same uh number but again i only have access to 2021 uh so my guy in 2021 who graded out or who who had the most of these plays uh was jermaine johnson at four and a quarter per game in 2021 um one of the areas where he didn't do quite so well was in his pressure rate uh, on those uh, pass rushing plays. That's a stat that I really, really like for um, edge rushers kind of uh 10% is kind of the, uh, the, the bare minimum threshold. If you're below 10%, I'm kind of not interested in you uh, as a pass rusher, <laughs> um, which, uh, Josh Pascal is actually, uh, I think he's the only guy out of the uh, players who meet that 1.5 threshold that you had who didn't have a 10% or better uh, pressure rate in in, uh, 2021.
0: Yep. Uh, And I think there are some some legit concerns there. That's actually, it's funny you mentioned that uh, production or that uh, pressure rate stat. Uh, that is the big concern I I have with Trayvon Walker too. Oh yeah, the, for sure. You can talk about him not um, getting some some of the counting stats just because of the guys who are around him, but he really wasn't getting after the quarterback at all in terms of a consistent down in down out basis. He was not producing pressure. You can you can we all know the limits of sacks and quarterback hits and things like that. He just wasn't affecting the passer a whole lot at all. He's got unbelievable testing numbers, but. I think if you have some pause about him, that's, that's totally justified.
1: I actually took Trayvon Walker off my edge board and stuck him in with the defensive tackles just so that his numbers would not look so pedestrian. He graded out as the second worst edge defender, uh, out of everybody who I considered draftable. Um, when I had him classified like that, couldn't do that to him. I stuck him in with the, with the defensive tackles so that he'd, uh, at least be, uh, uh, you know, in, in the, in the better half of guys, But if we're talking about – so you get the the 1.5 – what did you call it again? Production ratio. Production ratio. 1.5 production ratio and uh, add in the pressure rate of 10% or better. Really, there's uh, one, two, three, four guys total who we don't have uh, athletic numbers for. And then really only one guy who is at uh, – two guys who are at an eight and a half or lower – which are Clarence Hicks and Michael Clemens. Everybody else in this group has really, really incredible uh, testing numbers. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you know what? I forgot Kingsley Annabari, seven point four. Not terrible, but not not elite either.
0: Right. Yeah, it, it's a it's a good group. Um, there's a lot of of hay to be made here. And even if you expand things out a little bit more, one of the guys that kind of came in late um, among the edge rushers, since his pro day was so late, I think it was April eighth or so. Uh, was a guy named Scott Patchen out of uh, Colorado, really nice size, like six six, close to mm-hmm. two seventy, um, yeah. and very productive, one point four production ratio. Good athlete too. So there's there's value up and down the up and down the board. This is definitely one of the
1: the deepest positions in this draft, which we had heard about for at least a year that edge rusher was going to be uh, just a really deep class in twenty twenty two. Makes a lot of sense that the Packers would take a guy or two out of the edge rusher group, even if they didn't have the need that they do just because when the position is that deep, that means you can get some of the more elite guys later in the draft compared to later uh, compared to other years. Very much. So be nice to see, uh, see him pick up a guy or two there, uh, get him in the mix uh, with Preston and Rashawn and, and and hopefully uh, be in position to take over for Preston in a few years. Uh, any edge rushers, um, you you said you like Scott Patchett, any other guys that you are particularly fond of?
0: Um, so one guy that I am interested in that I don't really know what to make of is D'Angelo Malone out of Western Kentucky. Mm -hmm. He played 61 career college games, uh, because Western Kentucky was one of the, the few schools that played a full slate during the COVID year anyway. And then he still came back for the year afterwards. So he's just been playing football for a billion years in college now, but he's been productive the entire time. A little bit on the smaller side, uh, CBS Sports has him listed at 258 pounds. Most people have him closer to like 240, 243. A little bit on the smaller side, but he can get after the quarterback. He's got good testing numbers. He, he's an interesting sort of guy. A lot of people have him as an, an off-ball prospect too. Um, maybe you just find a way to get him on the field as you're like fourth or fifth fifth pass rusher and some some obvious passing downs or maybe some more rotational stuff. Um, yeah, I think I think he's an interesting prospect.
1: All right, well, John, I super appreciate you coming on today. We got a, a list of uh, a bunch of really awesome names later in the draft to keep an eye on that make a lot of sense. Um, who, are, who are some of the guys uh, in recent years that uh, you have hit on? I know Jonathan Garvin and I think also Kylan Hill were two guys that you had highlighted who then ended up being seventh round picks for the Packers, which... When you look at the pile of guys available uh, by the time you get to the
0: seventh round, it's kind of wild
1: that you've hit on even just two of them.
0: Uh, Those felt pretty good. Uh, The other one that I've been banging the table on for a while now is Patrick Taylor. Uh, He he hit a lot of the the numbers that we talked about, and it was cool to see the Packers pick him up as an undrafted free agent. The flip side of this is um, (laughs) I, I almost had to get mad at myself two years ago when the Packers took A.J. Dillon because he was a guy that hit all the thresholds, he was a great pass or he was a great prospect and it was like peak running backs don't matter season. And mm-hmm. I remember at the time thinking, wait a second. I'd spent all this time saying he's a good prospect, he fits everything that they're looking for. Now I got to turn around and say, well, maybe they shouldn't have done that. Well, he's turned out to be a pretty good player. So, you know, you, you take your wins where you can get them even if they're even if you have some questions about the process too. But um, every so often you hit on a couple. I think maybe Josiah DeGuara was another one too. I can't say for sure. Uh, But I got to give credit to one of my podcast listeners who pointed me towards him even a a couple years ago too. So yeah, every so often you find someone. You've got a great record over the last couple years with um, running backs. Most of the guys
1: that you've highlighted, whether the Packers took them or not, ended up doing incredibly well. I know Elijah Mitchell last year was a guy that you were talking about Pretty early, I don't think I'd even heard his name before you were talking about him. And I ended up just totally falling in love with the guy. Of course, he went to San Francisco. He was the second running back that they drafted uh, a couple rounds after they took Trey Sermon, and I think the third round. Of course, he ended up being their RB1 for the whole season. Painful to watch because I hate the 49ers, but still cool to see that pan, that pick pan out.
0: Yeah, it is it is fun. Every so often, you, you really hit on a guy, and it seems like everything kind of aligns. Uh, the other one that kind of stung, Uh, Looking back at some of my names from last year, a tier two safety by the name of Talanoa Hufanga at a USC. Yep. Uh, Ended up basically ending the Packers season in a couple different ways. Painful, painful. All right. We we need to get you hired by the Packers
1: and uh, stop making your podcast available to John Lynch. All right. I guess so. I guess so. (laughs) Uh, Hey, uh, draft night um what are your plans you doing anything uh
0: uh fun you got any fun draft traditions so we usually do something wing related on thursday night but i think we might okay. change it up a little bit uh this year so we've been getting back we've had some some life stuff some just busyness we haven't had the smoker running on the weekends as much as we usually do but i think now that i'm, I'm working from home a couple days a week we might have the smoker firing on uh, on draft day just so we have something going i'm thinking about a london broil for thursday night we'll see Ooh. we'll see how things shake out though but uh you know i'd usually try to make some some fun food for thursday night um, very nice yeah it's a it's a lot of fun and then you stay up late and record a podcast and then kind of just let the rest of the draft play out that's how i like to do it so i'm going to uh be smoking um
1: some country style ribs uh that's gonna be a fun one to do uh picked up some specialty uh, barbecue sauce i'm gonna give it a try out and um and then wednesday night as I do every year, I'm going to watch uh, Draft Day, the movie, Kevin Costner, super realistic show, um, just absolutely uh, critically acclaimed for uh, real life accuracy, uh, maybe dinged a couple of points for uh, the the cheering for Roger Goodell. But just a classic. I have to catch it every year. And then we're going to be doing a, a live stream um, on Packernet. And I'm going to try and talk you into coming on and, and join us for a few minutes there, because that'd be a blast to have you on there. Uh, all the guys over at Packernet uh, for round one of the draft.
0: Uh, We'll see. We'll see if the the kids cooperate. I wouldn't count on it. And I hear that you are about to have uh, a bit of a life change here.
1: Yes, sir. Just a couple months left. Uh, We've got uh, early August. We're expecting our first child. And uh, my last couple guests I've had on this show – uh, I wrap it up by asking for parenting advice. You, you dished out a little bit, bit of that earlier in regards to uh, helping out with my uh, concentration and memory. Uh, anything else, though, uh, as I prepare to hang on for your dear
0: life? So everybody, like the the gist, everyone wants to give you, um, you know, kind of the joke advice, you know, get plenty of sleep, do whatever you can. Look, uh, to get serious for a second, what you need to do is uh, buy one of these little, little five-year journals. We've got one of these um, where you just write like a couple lines a day about what happened and make it a priority. It's a tradition for our family now when we mm-hmm. put my oldest to bed. Uh, it's me and his mom and our seven-month-old and me. And we just write a couple things down that happened that day. And it's, it's been super meaningful to us to just have a, a little time to reflect together on what happened that day. And you look back over the months and they add up really quickly. Uh, so you've got to yeah. just take time, take time to remember stuff like that. And if you, if you want an additional thing like that, I, I use an app called one second every day where I just okay. remind myself to grab a little snippet of video and you'll be amazed at just how quickly those little kids grow up. Uh, but just remembering little moments like, um, Oh yeah, they, that's how it sounded when they, when they laughed, when they were two months old because, Aww. Oh man, we were, we were talking about this the other night and it's hard to, to talk about it without getting emotional. We don't have a lot to, we don't, you know, have any plans, you know, things, things can change to, to probably have any more kids. And we were hearing our, our second kid, you know, do, do the little baby laughs type stuff. And it just hit both me and my wife at the same time. This is probably the last time we're going to hear that. Just remember that there's things like that happening every day. And if you don't take time to notice them, they're just going to be gone and you're going to wonder where they went. You are so full of it before we
1: started recording. I told you this was going to be one of the questions and you said that you didn't have any advice for me and here you come on uh, dropping gold like that. I'm going to do that for sure, man. Thank you for the advice. You bet. You bet. All right. And thank you for uh, coming on the show. Love to have you back on here again sometime. Um, Everybody again, that is John Meerdink on Twitter and uh, blue 58 podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, Again, super recommended. Make sure you check out at least one episode. You're probably going to get hooked. Uh, That's going to do it for us today. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.